Welcome to the Wednesday, May 31st edition of the PFF forecast. I think the last podcast I said was the last May edition. It's not. I lied. 31 days. It's very many days. Um, it's got a great show. We're going to do a little debate that Brad and I had earlier today, and we decided to save it for the podcast because we realized it was going to be interesting. We're going to debate um, head coaches in the NFL and the NBA, who has a bigger impact, and then GMs. Uh, versus, you know, for, for NBA versus NFL, who has a bigger impact. We're going to get into some NBA bets. We've done some research there uh, so for the finals. And then some memorial action, the Memorial Tournament, Jack's Tournament. Um, it is a designated event, just like a mini major. Um, just got some golf bets, courtesy of Brad and his data golf subscription, which would be fantastic. It's going to be a great show. Let's rock. Before we get started, um, just a reminder uh, to everyone, we appreciate you for listening, uh, being a loyal listener. If you have not already, we have a new YouTube channel. Um, it's where all the podcast episodes are going. So please go subscribe to that. Um, and if you enjoy this podcast, you get value out of it. Um, one of the best things you can do is, is share it with others um, and kind of spread the love, get them involved. And one of the things that you can do for those people that you're sharing it with, definitely share them the Discord link because especially during the off season, that's probably the place that you get the most value out of the work that Brad is doing and, and Judah and Arjun and Ben Brown. And we've got WNBA plays in there, golf um, and any news that breaks, we've always got people in there that have a, a cool angle on how to bet it. So go join the printing press discord as well. The link uh, is in the description on that YouTube channel. And we tweet it out. Um, we appreciate you and love you. So thank you for, for hanging out with us, Brad. Um, we were going to get right into the NBA. But before the podcast, we started talking about this, and I think we're on kind of different sides of it. So I'm excited to have this debate. Here, here's kind of the, the setup question. So Eric Spolstra, would you agree, like top coach in the NBA right now? Yes. Okay. So he's having a, a big impact, certainly on the Heat. They were an eight seed. They've been a competitive team with, you would say, probably uh, less than top tier, certainly, maybe even average talent. Um, for a couple of years now. Um, so I think that the question as I, as we framed it is let's start with head coach, bigger impact, uh, on their team, NFL head coaches, NBA head coaches. And I think the right framing here is skewing towards the top tier, uh, in terms of having a positive impact. And then we can maybe think about it. If you have a bad coach, you know, which one has a bigger, like outsized negative impact. I'll let you uh, go first. Yeah, I think he's a perfect coach to kind of break this off of because I think no one has had a bitter, bigger glow up than Eric Spolstra in terms of, uh, I think a lot of us thought, yeah, he got handpicked probably because LeBron likes him and he's a patsy and it's probably LeBron and Pat Riley doing all the work and, and Spolstra is just this young, like, you know, 30 something year old guy. And now I think he's a consensus top two coach in the NBA. I'm sure Greg Popovich still gets some, some acclaim there. So, um, you know, I, I still would lean NFL. And I think the question honestly boils down to in some facets, is it easier if you have LeBron James or Patrick Mahomes, let's say you start there. Um, you know, then is it easier or are you influencing the team more as the head coach of those teams to make everything else work? Right. So if you're if you're Eric Spolstra, you know, are you making everything work around that player? If you're Andy Reid, are you make everything work, everything work around that player? Um, and I still just think in large part because there are two sides of the football in the NFL, the rosters are way bigger, but also just the fact that like. The game of football, I think, is way more diverse and is way more week-to-week -week changes dramatically. Yes, you're going to do different things in the NBA based on your opponent. You're going to have matchup-specific ideas. You're going to try new things. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to have your core bread and butter and that I think is, you know, NFL does as well, but, but I think the NFL just has more, you know, balls in the air, more things to juggle um, on a week-to-week -week basis than the NBA does. I think you make some some really good points there, especially around kind of the organizational challenge of the head coaching role in the NFL, which was not one that that I was considering quite as much in, in this analysis. I'm going to go with NBA, and I think you actually bring up 
one of the main reasons, and I think what it boils down to is essentially that like Mahomes LeBron comparison. So it's an interesting one because we have a kind of, we kind of have the counterfactual with LeBron. So like LeBron has played on some teams with some crappy head coaches and some crappy teams. And I guess maybe the question also is who's a better GM, LeBron or Mahomes? If you gave Mahomes the GM uh, keys, because part of LeBron is also that he brings with him this GM component. And you saw that like really hurt some teams, definitely hurt the um, the Lakers and they've missed, you know, the, the playoffs. They've been, you know, less than like championship favorites with LeBron. Although I think the case is pretty good in that you put LeBron on just about any team in his prime, they're making it to the Eastern Conference Finals, basically, right? Um, and I think you say basically the same thing with with Mahomes. But here's where I'll side with the NBA uh, head coach. I think those that's a good example. But I think if you average out maybe the top five players um and maybe go to top 10 i think the quarterback is just more outsized in terms of how they determine the outcome of, of the team and how they also dictate like the scheme and that's where i'll say the nba head coach has a bit more um i think flexibility in that they can dynamically change things more on the fly within games um i think they have more ability to kind of put their stars in different places whereas so much of what an NFL team is, is just like, is their quarterback going to basically be the coach on the field? Is their quarterback going to work really hard? And if they do, and they're talented, they're going to go pretty darn far. And if not, case in point, I think you could make a really strong argument. Bill Belichick is a top three NFL coach, right? And without Tom Brady, that team is pretty, pretty tough to watch. You look at and they have some stars, but you look at the Heat, and if you compare like Belichick to Spolstra, now I think the Heat are slightly more talented than than the Patriots are, but like Spolstra was able to put a bunch of undrafted guys, kind of get them to the finals. And I think it's harder to do in the NFL because the coach just can't overcome having a mediocre quarterback. It's interesting because I was, you know, thinking about it when we were talking about the top of the league and then you start to look at the rest like for me let's use like Mike Vrabel in Tennessee like I don't think there's a Mike Vrabel in the NBA where he can take like a mid roster but just make that a 12 win team 11 win team you know ignore the divisions ignore all of that like yeah, just by say, being in the, yeah like in the south anything being, is like, possible <laughs> Yeah, true, true, true. But like, just like being like tough and physical and like old school and like just focusing on things that aren't like, like if you don't have talent, don't have shooters and don't have athletes in the NBA, you can't just like coach them into. Um, and the Heat thing is interesting. Obviously, the eight seed this year, they were the one seed the year prior. I'm not arguing that they're super mm -hmm. talented. They obviously you know have some injuries. They are playing a bunch of undrafted guys. You know, I, I would push back a little bit on I, obviously sensitive to Belichick. Mm -hmm. I mean, making the playoffs with a rookie Mac Jones, I think was like. Uh, I think a league average NFL coach goes now, especially now in hindsight, wins like five games with that team, mm. um, you know, and obviously they were not very good last year. But yeah, no, I guess it is, it's, it's, it's a closer conversation. But I do think the fascinating thing for me is I'm starting to think like, like I agree with you on the quarterback component of, you know, it, it, he might have a higher floor and, and then a good coach can, can can do a little bit less like an Andy Reid's a phenomenal, but like Mahomes is probably going to be a good quarterback maybe not winning, you know, going to AFC championship games every year. Um, whereas, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think on the margins, you know, in, in the little details in the NBA, you know, clearly like Spolstra this season, you know, you know, Missoula obviously was not the Celtics coach came into the series, but like made a meaningful yeah. difference. Like I want to say, I don't know how many third quarters they won in this series, but I would guess most um, and, and just did a lot of different things throughout that. I think you actually, like you said, during the game, I think you have more influence. Whereas in the NFL, like, you better be prepared during the mm -hmm. week. You, of course, make adjustments, but I think you can only right. do so much in the middle of an NFL game. Yeah, that's fair. Another good concept. So the Vrabel one is interesting, and I want to think about that a little bit more. And some of our listeners may have some good takes on, on who the good Vrabel comp is. But here's an interesting one to think about. So remember the Warriors with Mark Jackson, right? The Warriors with Mark Jackson had all this talent, but like it was kind of tough to watch. And I like Mark Jackson. Like I think he's a great commentator. I, I didn't think he was an above average uh, NBA head coach. Steve Kerr comes in there and, you know, I mean, like clockwork, they just turn into one of the, maybe the best offense in NFL in, in NBA history. Um, and I think that's indicative of what 
I would say if you took Andy Reid, I think this is a good one. I'm going to hypothesize. If you took Andy Reid, who's who's an average NFL head coach? We'd say Vrabel's above average, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I was just like Arthur Smith. I feel like you don't like him. I feel like he's like average. Like I, you know, I mean, maybe he could be well early. below average, depending on. Well, the, here's the, the thing: game. like, it's so if you're below average and by year three you're fired. So like, it's almost like it's hard to be average because either you're above average because you still have your job four years, or later. you're a new head coach. Yeah, or we don't have enough data to actually make a meaningful, you know, you know, argument. <laughs> but let me give you one that I, that I think is an average head coach. I think Dan Campbell's an average head coach. Sure. I think Dan Campbell is like a good Mark Jackson comp. He has no clue what he's doing schematically. He's like getting the players fired up. He's funny to talk to. He gets along with the players, but like you ask him to drop a play and it's like, you know, might as well, you know, go somewhere else. Um, So let me, let's think about Dan Campbell. Is the drop off between if, if Dan Campbell coaches the chiefs, is that team falling off as much as what the Warriors, you know, kind of jumped with, with Kerr from Jackson to Kerr? I guess not. Yeah, no, I'm surprised by my answer, but I, I guess not. You know, I, I think that, you know, Kerr elevated them to such a degree and made a meaningfully like, like difference in the, in the approach. And also like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do small ball. We're going to change the entirety of what we do. We're going to have Draymond play, play the five or stretch four and just do different things we've ever done before. Whereas like I did say, you can kind of make little tweaks for the NFL, but at the end of the day, you need to play football, right? You need to win in the trenches and then you need to, you know, do some, some cool things on the outside. Like it's, I think you, you can establish the run. You establish the run, and then you you use play action, which only works if you if the run has been established, and, and right. then and only then can can you run. No, but yeah, so like, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of being swayed in the middle of the argument because I I think Dan Campbell, the Chiefs, they're still going to win ten games, I think at a minimum, um, and then maybe come playoff time, you know, they start losing in the in the divisional round as opposed to you know automatic you know AFC Championship game. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I think what we're also getting at is the value of the coordinator positions within the NFL that is really not as much there within the NBA. I think that there are some coaches who, who rely on their assistant coaches in the NBA, but you know, there's a couple of guys that are like defensive specialists and stuff like that. Um, but then also the kind of roster construction piece. So let's talk briefly about GM. And this is where I think we may be on the same side of the coin. Bigger impact is Bob Myers, who we just talked about the Warriors. He's stepping away from the Warriors. He was kind of the architect behind that Warriors team, put together so much great talent. Obviously, we know about Curry, Thompson, and Green, but has drafted a lot of other really good players, made some savvy moves, built stuff around them, um, and is stepping away. It'll be interesting to see what the impact is there. I personally believe he's stepping away because he knows he has to get rid of, he has to tear that that baby down and he doesn't want to do it because he, you know, he has friendships with those guys and he would rather prioritize those friendships. And I have a lot of respect for that. That is a hell of a move to make. I would probably just tear the thing down. But, um, but uh, you know, here I think it will be an interesting case study. Where do you think bigger impact NFL GM, NBA GM? So this one, I, and I, I'll be surprised if I'm swayed, I think it's like dramatically in favor of the NFL GM mattering more, not even just from the standpoint of, you know, 53-man roster versus, I want to say, 15 for the NBA. And again, yes, we are looking at, you know, a, a Heat team where the best player in Jimmy Butler was a 30th overall pick, of course, of my Chicago Bulls. Um, and then you have a bunch mm-hmm. of undrafted guys. Yeah, they have Bam Adebayo and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, but, but for the most part, like if you don't have a top 10 pick, the picks not borderline irrelevant. And if you don't have a superstar or, or which I think Butler falls in that category, you're probably not going to be a relevant team. And yes, again, quarterbacks obviously dictate so, so much in the NFL, but, but I think like, like depth probably matters more. I mean, NBA teams are playing seven, eight guys in the playoffs. Um, realistically, um, you know, the NFL, you might have to, you know, lean on a guy who didn't play all season or, or come up with some creative role or thing for him to do. You know, think of all these, these stories and these, these, you know, narratives and David Tyree helmet catch and all these things that like, Mm -hmm. I just don't think there really is that, um, to the same degree in the NBA. So yeah, for me, I do think that's the, you know, the NFL just cause it's just such a bigger proposition. Um, and, and there's, you know, the cap is a little bit harder than in the NBA. Uh, so I, I would go NFL here for sure. I think it's NFL. I think it's a landslide and, and this is um, all credit to some really great NBA 
team builders out there. I mean, Pat Riley is phenomenal and what Jerry West did, you know, building the Lakers. And, but, you know, I, I think Jerry West is a good example of this. If you identify one player in the NBA, right. You, I mean, Jerry West identified Kobe Bryant and like, you know, I mean, he's done some other really incredible things and he pulled off the trade and, and you know, he got Shaq and all that. But my point being is that you can make an outsized impact with, with less moves in the NFL. You've got to be so on point with so many things. The draft is seven freaking rounds plus UDFAs. There's this huge organization of people that are working for you that are all over the map, like all over the place. I mean, you got scouts that are, you know, thinking totally differently than other scouts and are, you know, you've just got a lot of things that you've got to organize. And I think that is, that is much harder in the NFL. And then you also have these decisions that you've got to make that have bigger consequences. And this is the thing for me, the NBA has a luxury tax. The, the, Golden State Warriors could keep the band together and pay like 500 million in luxury tax. And so you have this kind of like, you have this out, right? I think the easiest place to be a GM would be baseball because like nothing matters. But in the NFL, like the cap really freaking matters. I know some people believe that it doesn't, but it does. And the people that manage to get around it are really working their their butts off and like what the saints have been able to do is a testament to the the wisdom that they have in that building so i think it's a landslide and i think it's the nfl which leads me to i'm gonna put you on the spot here you're not prepared for this so people don't need to 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 uh um hold this to you but like top five nfl gms and i think you're uniquely uh capable of answering this question because we just talked about the importance of the money aspect that is probably the most, the thing fans understand the least. So taking that certainly into account, your top five NFL GMs, and, and we can like rework this list if you want to switch people after you've kind of gone through it. I, I feel pretty good. It's something that an exercise I've done a few times. And, and so I'm pulling kind of from past experience. I would say two quick like tangents. People are so recency bias based when they have these conversations, which I get, I understand, but like, just try to not like react to one off season or, you know, a guy landing a quarterback. Like, look, I think Jason lights actually a pretty good GM in Tampa Bay. This is not being mean to him, but yes, he, yes, he got Tom Brady, uh, you know, in free agency. He also traded up in the second round of draft a kicker. So like, again, I'm not trying to be mean to Jason light, but like, I think he's clearly top 10. He's not gonna be in my top five. Anyway, second thing is, same thing we talk about with draft grades. You can look at the process. We don't know as much as they don't know. No one knows who's good, who's not going to be good. But you can look at, do they get positional value? Do they get trade value? Any of those things. Anyway, rant over. Number one, and I'm not saying this because I'm being reactionary. I've been saying he's the best GM in the sport for probably three years now. It is Howie Rosen with the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm sure you're not surprised by that. Um, he got a ton of flack for, you know, a couple bad moves, Jalen Rager, Andre Dillard, whatever, but the process was always sound. He is better than anyone in the NFL at extending guys early, and it is why they're able to pay so many players when you have Jordan Mailata and Josh Sweat and all these dudes on these incredible surplus value contracts because you always extend early. Even Jalen Hurts, who just got a bag. You make sure you do it before anybody else pays a quarterback. That deal will age, you know, pretty nicely, pretty quickly. So he's number one. Um, this one will be controversial, but I, I you know, I'm surprised he's not my number one. That's Bill Belichick. Yes, he hasn't been on the biggest hmm. heater of late. Yes, I think he has been been a little bit more aggressive and doing some things that he did not do for 20 years before. Um, but I think he's the gold standard, and we look at his entire body of work. I would say with him, his big thing is not buying into sunk cost fallacy, not buying into we have to extend every good player we have. Instead, let's let go guys sign elsewhere. We got the utility out of this guy. Our final piece of utility is getting some compensatory picks or trading him away and getting a rookie contract player for the longest time. No one did that better than Bill Belichick. Um, and honestly, he had a couple bad draft classes here and there. A, when you're picking 31st or 32nd overall every single year, hey, you might have some bad draft classes. Um, and, and B, I still think it's overblown. You look at Timo's data, even in the years where, where everyone thought he was the worst GM, he was about average in drafting. Um, you know, it was just his baseline was so high. So I will go Bill Belichick second. Third one here for me is a bit of a jump up, but I have to give him credit because I did not for the longest time. I think Brett Veach is actually a very, very good GM in Kansas City. I was kind of in the camp of, he got Patrick Mahomes, he got Andy Reid, and, you know, I could do that job and do pretty well. But 
the last couple off seasons, I think he's been really sharp in a couple areas. Their draft class has been very good. And I think they've done a couple different interesting things where either they are taking premium positions or I think they've done a good job of hitting the inflection point of we're an elite roster with elite talent at a lot of important spots. Let's take a guy like Creed Humphrey or a couple off-ball linebackers or safeties or corners. Maybe take them a little bit early if you were looking if you were doing a, a rebuild draft from square one. But let's get the second best center in the NFL in the draft or the, the top center in the draft instead of the 18th best edge rusher, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I think there is a cohesive plan there. I think they know what they're doing. And then, of course, from a contract structure standpoint, I mean, Mahomes' deal will probably go down as one of the greatest contracts ever signed in the sport. Yeah. So feel free to cut me off whenever. But um, fourth, and I don't think this is recency bias, which is crazy, is Duke Tobin of our Cincinnati Bengals. Wow. Yes. Wow. Who, I like uh, that. A big thing for yeah, a big thing for me, and it actually applies to to Veach as well. The Chiefs were 16th in cash spend last year. They're 16th in cash spend right now. Um, and and are the favorite to win the Super Bowl again. Um, anyway, the Cincinnati Bengals, the last three or four off seasons now, have been dynamite in both the draft and free agency. Again, letting some players go, making very smart moves. Look, you let Will Jackson go, you bring in Shadobi Wuzier. You you let some of your older, you know, edge rushers go, and Carlos Dunlap. You bring in Trey Hendrickson on, on a very good deal. You know, Mike Hilton at slot. You pay the slot position kind of before it booms and get an early for a very good player. Yeah, and then again, this offseason, you let Jesse Bates walk. Yes, he's a good player, um, but you bring in some replacements. You do some smart things here and there. Everyone loved their draft. Um, I, I was a fan as well. I like Miles Murphy in the first round. I just think they've been really, really good at staying patient, getting the Orlando Brown type signings for, for discount, for value. Mm -hmm. and, and then when you add in the piece of, what resources is he working with? I think the I think you can make an argument that Bengals have the least resources of anyone in the NFL. I mean, he is yep. by himself. You know, that's 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 unfair. But you know, he is he's working with a small group and has been really good um, for for a couple of years now. The last one, I think it, it gets tough. Um, we're on five here. I think I mentioned Jason Light. He is in, in the conversation. Honestly, Mickey Loomis. I know everyone. You know, the Saints, the Saints do this crazy stuff, but I'll go Mickey Loomis here, and, and I'll say this. So. Yeah. To be, it's kind of the flip side. Look, he has as many resources as he possibly wants. There is no cash budget in New Orleans, or at least it doesn't seem like there is. But even still, I think we know drafting is inherently random, but they have been really, really good. And yes, they trade up a ton. Their process we hate. Uh, it is, you know, mathematically is not a sound process. Uh, mm -hmm. But but I think to a degree, in some ways where the Rams, I think, did realize Hey, if we trade, you know, the, the, the market is kind of overcorrected to where we can kind of take advantage of, of these long held beliefs. Like you should never trade picks for veterans and stuff like that. That again, uh, overall probably does not work. I wrote an article about why, you know, trading for veterans over and over and over again is not a good idea. Um, but I think everyone kind of figured that out and then the market got a little bit cheaper. And so anyway, it's always exploring edges, finding edges. And I think the saints, you know, their counterculture, them doing everything differently. You know, it's it's worked for a long period of time. They have missed the playoffs two years in a row. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I think Loomis, you know, deserves a nod here. I, I was, it was between, I, I was dead on, on most of them. I had Tobin in there. I didn't know you'd put him that high. I thought he was going to be like fifth, but I thought that was, that, that one makes a ton of sense. And you bring up a lot of really good points there. I only disagree. I think Roseman won by a, a pretty sizable margin, um, especially because he does it in the Philadelphia market where, I mean, that fan base is as like rabid, but also as like out to lunch as there is. And I love the Eagles fans, but like the That's reaction they had when they drafted Jalen Hurts was like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Right. And like makes no sense. Um, but uh, but clearly, clearly number one with a bullet. The one that I disagree with you on is Brett Beach. Um, you get Patrick Mahomes. That's an amazing move. I don't know how much credit you get for Patrick Mahomes. Like there's a element of luck there. I think you can take all the credit for Mahomes. Let's give him all the credit for Mahomes. I think that's fair. Let's give him that credit. But then it's like, okay, what did you do with it? And I will say like a few things that, that come to mind. I mean, the Frank Clark thing I thought was, you know, a kind of a, a ridiculous move. I think the drafting of Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round was an egregious move. 
Um, and so they've been really successful, but I think it's almost in spite of some of the moves. Now the Mahomes deal, you're right. It was, it looks like a great deal, but any quarterback deal that you make for Patrick Mahomes is going to look good two years later, like anything. I mean, you could have signed him to anything and it would have looked really good. So, so that's the one I'll push back on. Let me give you a couple that I think could be considered instead and, and see where, how close they were to the, the list. The first one, I'm surprised he was not in your list, is John Schneider from the Seahawks. I don't know that you can find, like, one of the best drafting teams, what they did with Russell. First off, the fact that they won with Russell Wilson and then traded Russell Wilson for that haul is absolutely amazing. Um, so I think he he deserves some some thought. Where would he be on your list? So here's the thing. He is trending in, in a skyrocketing upward position. The thing with him was here is his first round picks from 2016 through 2020. He took Jermaine Effetti, uh, who is like a fringe guard right tackle. I think not in the league right now. Uh, he took Malik McDowell. Yeah. Or it was the first pick in their draft class. Basically did not have an NFL career. 35th overall. He took Rashad Penny in the first round in 2018. He took LJ Collier in 2019. He took an off-ball linebacker in Jordan Brooks. Probably 40 picks ahead of consensus. Mm -hmm. So he now is on an absolute heater. The Russell Wilson trade plus his last two draft classes, I think are phenomenal. Obviously his 2012 and 2013 classes that had, you know, Wagner and Irvin and, and Sherman and Russell Wilson are mm. two of the best draft classes, like, you know, of all time. He is probably right. back in that conversation. Um, but I think he was just so poor for that stretch there from a draft standpoint um, that, that he kind of got knocked down a peg and he's climbing his way back up. But, but I, I totally agree real quick on the beach thing, all extremely fair points. I think he's starting to learn from the early mistakes, which is big. Um, mm. But yeah, trust me. I, I, he wasn't even top 10 for me like la probably two off seasons ago. And I was kind of always pushing yeah. back. I'm like, no, he just has my homes. And I think he's trending positive. I'm jaded a little bit because it was like, pardon my French, but like an easy butt to lick for every person for sure. out there creating editorial content, wanted to write the puff piece about Brett Beach. And it's like, okay, we get it. <laughs> All right, buddy. Like, I'm not going to name names here. You can go, you know, Google the pieces and see who it is. But like, it's like, all right, you know, enough. Um, let me give you a couple others. Brandon Bean. Um, I thought could easily be in there. I think has drafted well at, you know, what he kind of has managed to put together the way that he brought in, uh, you know, Mc, McDermott and get, you know, the Allen thing on the train tracks. Um, you know, I think that the Von Miller signing could have been a Super Bowl winning signing if he doesn't get hurt, um, you know, and so has done some, some good things there. And then um, uh, who was the other one that I was going to mention? Oh, and this one will be, wildly unpopular, but I'm going to throw it out here because I think you could make a case that Jerry Jones does a pretty damn good job, all things considered. And when I say all things considered, I mean like the valuation of the Dallas Cowboys, if they went on sale right now, I don't think there's a single valuation out there that's within like 4 billion of where it would end up going. That franchise would go for so many billions that like, you know, I mean, it might be so expensive that it that uh, it, you could get one of those uh, bottles of wine that Jeff Bezos bought uh, for his uh, his fiance, which, by the way, is a funny story because apparently he overpaid by like 10x. But um, wh where are you on on those guys? So Bean has been a staple in my top five for for the last several off seasons. He's also phenomenal at early extensions. Um, I'm not a, I'm not in love with his draft history. He he trades up almost every year. Did it again this year. You move up for a 24 year old tight end, and there's a quote today from their offensive coordinator. They don't know how they're going to use him. Maybe don't trade up in the first round for a 24 year old tight end. If you and of course there's always off season speak, but um, I actually have not been in love with the last couple off seasons. I mean, look, early deals, Josh Allen, all those things. He's still top 10, no question. Um, but I bumped him down a little bit. We're going to get disagreed with. The Jerry Jones thing is spot effing on, and you could not be more right. I give a little bit more credit to Will McClay, who's their VP of mm -hmm. personnel there, and who, I, you know, my understanding runs the draft classes. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, but just to be clear, I took that into account. The fact that Jerry Jones has let Will McClay do some things, like we give him so much shit for being on the field and talking to reporters and all this crap. It's like, okay, you can do that, but you also got to give – leaders credit for when they let other people that is like 99 percent of the job of being a manager 
is is doing that. Anyways, continue. No, no doubt about it. And there are many stories. And look, there are not many owners, especially ones as powerful as him. Like there are stories of, I think he even said it himself. Like I wanted Baker, or not Baker, I wanted Johnny Manziel, but I let them talk me out of it. You know, I wanted this player, that player, but everyone else in the building disagreed with me. And so I deferred and like, we shouldn't give, you know, I, but anyway, their talent evaluation, I think is top five, top 10 in the NFL. No question about it. Um, They could be better at getting some guys signed a little bit earlier, but, but no, they are a phenomenally well-running organization from top to bottom. Like you said too, if we're going to factor in just like getting asses and seats and the entertainment value and knowing how to play the game with the media and all those things, I mean, he is the gold standard and maybe all sports ownership. Yeah. I, I think it's a worthwhile one and not a popular one. Certainly. I think yeah. people would, would, um, go against it. This has ended up being way more of a conversation than I thought it was going to be. So, but I think an interesting one, I'm legitimately having a, a good time. So I'm going to ask one more question, which is let's predict uh, someone that will be in, the, let's do this. Let's say we do this again next year or, you know, a couple of years from now, who's the GM that has the best chance to be number one other than Howie Roseman. And, and ideally someone that's not in the top five right now. Um, I have one in mind. It might be a little biased, but I'm curious uh, who you would go with. I'm I'm, I'm not going to directly answer the question because I think it's tough, but I'll, I'll sort of get at it to where a guy that's that's young in his his GM tenure and I think is just on a meteoric rise, really kind of picking up where the prior guy left off, but I think is doing so well already and is kind of filling a lot of the edges and, and, and small cases where his predecessor did not do much. That's Omar Khan in Pittsburgh. I, I think the Steelers mm-hmm. were a gold-standard organization. You had Kevin Colbert there forever. They, they scout very, very well. I think Khan for a while there was kind of viewed as, you know, he has a football administration, cap contract background. Can he do it all? Can he do both? I mean, they had a consensus, like everyone's favorite draft class this year. Um, they added a lot of good talent last year. Obviously, Pickett will be interesting how that works out. We'll probably have a big indication on it. But then you restrain, uh, restructure the organization, hire the first assistant GM, I think, of all time in the Steelers history. You have, you know, you, you spend more in free agency than you kind of ever have, but it's all on the trenches and, and addressing important spots for that team, you know, holes they had around the roster. I just think in an early window, maybe it's not next year, but I think he just is kind of that guy that's just going to come in and just be good kind of from day one. Okay, I'm going to take a step further. I'm going to say that in three to five years, the top two are going to be these two guys. I won't put them in a particular order. Um, the first guy that I'm going to mention is Kwesi uh, Adolfo Mensa. Now, uh, I must like say this. I, I, I know Kwesi more than I know any of these other guys. I can vouch for him as a person, which is one of the reasons that I am going to make this. I think that's important. But I think he has an opportunity to thread a really, really tough needle with the Vikings, which is deal with the Kirk Cousins thing and actually come out of it on the other side with a really good team built for the future. I think he's making some moves that are going to get him to that position. I don't know that he can get there. It's still going to be very, very hard, but I think he's got a unique chance. We've talked about this. I think they can win the division this year. They're in a crappy NFC and he still has some outs with cousins that I think, you know, if you play your cards, right, can lead to being the dominant team in that division. Cause I think the Packers and the lions there's a lot of reasons to believe that that there's some holes there and you know they have a lot much i think as tough of an uphill battle um as, as vikings do and i think his perspective his mindset towards things the combination of how he works with people and how he makes decisions i think is going to set him up for success there so that's number one and then number two is monty Austinport. what he pulled off this last offseason with the Arizona Cardinals is absolutely fantastic. It is amazing. It is, it is NFL changing. Now I know the Cardinals have been a somewhat cursed organization. Like what he has done, we could be, ta- I mean, the Cardinals could be the best team in the NFL in five years. Like we could be talking about, you know, the Cardinals, like we do the chiefs right now. I mean, Caleb Williams, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. Caleb Williams, best prospect since Andrew Luck. And they've managed to acquire also the second pick next year in the stack draft. You know, I think the the DeAndre Hopkins thing, he's making the right decision there. It looks like he's going to tank this year. I mean, that to be able to come in and do that right from the jump is incredible stuff. He obviously comes from the Patriots. We talked about Bill Belichick. So I think he's got the right mental 
um, kind of makeup there to do it. So I think those guys are going to be the class of, of, of NFL GMs um, in, in the future. I love the Austin Fort shout. This is going to sound hyperbolic and people are going to think this is crazy, but I implore you, go look at the first year of every GM and come back to me. He may have had the best first offseason for a GM I've like ever seen. Like, and yeah, some GMs come in and their goal is to, you know, I mean, speaking of crazy, like take a team that was that was kind of already good and, and try to win, you know, more. And obviously he accomplished that not in the playoffs, but obviously they won a lot of games last year. But I think Austin Ford just understood the assignment better than I've ever seen a first year GM. Like you said, you are tanking, but also I still love the draft class on top of that. And I'm telling you, go look at your favorite GM. His first draft class probably stinks. And yeah, we don't know how the Cardinals are going to be just yet, but we see that every year, like the talent evals are just not quite there. They go, they, they don't go by consensus. They try to be geniuses. And, and I think he just kind of hit doubles the whole time, just played it smart, just followed consensus, um, you know, took premium positions, the first couple picks for them. Yeah, I, I totally agree on both of those, but, but in particular, no, Monty, the arrow is, is pointing skyward. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, what's maybe the best kind of uh, analogy to it. You know, it's like a, a a rookie who comes in and competes for the MVP, right? Kind of right away, yeah. right? I think that's, that. you know, like they probably won't give him the the GM of the year if they get the first overall pick and the second overall pick, but that would be the most valuable GM job uh, if that happened. I can a promise mile. you this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a country mile. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, that was that was fun. Let's get, uh, let's close out here with... Um, some uh, NBA finals and some Memorial tournament. Um, before we do promo code forecast, get yourself PFF plus subscription for 25% off on PFF.com or the PFF app. Get yourself set up for the fantasy season because I love you all. I'm going to let you know that there are some very, very cool fantasy products that are coming your way. Um, you are going to love them, especially if you love say the mock draft simulator uh, for our NFL draft. I think you'll like what we're cooking up for you. New betting products coming as well during the season. Um, so you're going to want to get yourself involved in that. And you can do so uh, right from the jump here. Get yourself all set up for fantasy season. And the annual subscription carries you all the way through free agency and the draft. Um, if you liked our conversation about GMs, I think you'd be interested in what we have coming your way with our draft guide. All the great stuff that uh, Brad puts together for free agency and the assessments of, of the offseason that you will get with that subscription. So I use it every single day. I know Brad does as well. Get yourself a PFF Plus subscription and uh, be a smart football fan. Um, let's get to the NBA Finals. So um, I, I think I'm getting these stats correct. Uh, a team that has had, I think it's a three-plus day rest advantage that is the higher seed is like eight and one or seven and one in opening games and in the series uh, when it comes to uh, the NBA playoffs. So, and I'm, I'm sourcing, I think that uh, Zach Lowe had that uh, stat. Um, so it is not looking good for our heat. Now we should shout out Arjun who gave out nuggets 10 to one to win the NBA uh, championship. I tailed him. So I have heat plus 450 and nuggets 10 to one. Um, and I like the way that that's, that's leaning in, in favor of the nuggets game one, uh, which is tomorrow. We're recording this on a Wednesday night is nuggets minus nine minus three ninety. Heat plus nine plus three ten on the money line total is at two nineteen. Brad, we're football guys, but we're betters first and foremost. So we've done we've done some due diligence for the printing press. Why don't you get us started um, with uh, what you're thinking for for this game one? Yep. So I have some game one thoughts or just one play there. And then I do have two futures you can find on DraftKings that I'm very excited about. I have a bunch of data on real quick though. Is that Zach Lowe's stat ATS in game one or just win loss in game one? That's just win loss. Okay. Okay. So mm -hmm. my, my thought for game one is I think everyone's going to talk about how the nuggets are bad on defense. Look, they are, they're, they're not as efficient. Uh, the Celtics have the second best, um, you know, uh, defensive efficiency, but the Celtics also have the second highest pace of play in the NBA and the, the Nuggets are 23rd and the Heat, this won't surprise anyone, are 29th uh, in, in possessions per, I'm guessing it's, I guess, 48 minutes. I don't know what the stat is, but nevertheless, um, they rank 23rd and 29th in the NBA. So I'm not saying the Nuggets are good on defense, but I think we're going to get the under in this game here, the rest advantage, all those things you mentioned. Maybe you get some rust from Denver, some, some tired players from Miami. Um, I like the under 219 in this first game. 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting one, especially um, you think about the rest component versus the rust component. And, you know, the, the Nuggets have been dynamite. Um, but one of the things that I expect to be consistent for the Heat is Eric Spolstra and his defensive game plans have been really, really good. Now, a couple of things here. No team in uh, playoff history has hit a higher percentage of their open threes than the Heat have <laughs> this season uh, in this playoffs. So I would expect that to come down. Um, but the Boston Celtics, I think we all saw them, you know, they they were basically right on average in terms of percentage of open threes they hit. So what does that tell you? It wasn't as if they were missing open shots at an abnormal rate. The defense for the Heat was putting them in a tough position, and that's why you were seeing them look ridiculous. And so I think that that's a sign of a couple of things. The Heat regressing probably to the mean and the Heat defense being a little bit more. Now, the Lakers defense was good. But the Lakers defense also a little bit less athletic, a little bit less able to get up and down the floor, and they did not have Eric Spolster. So I like that one a lot. Um, I was one of the ones that, that I was looking at. I think just in this game, I like to kind of, I, I think that the, the number is skewed towards the Nuggets because of those data points around yep. teams with rest and, and rust, uh, or rest versus rust and all that, all that stuff. The Heat are pretty healthy. There's no one that I thought got overly banged up in that game and relatively young. So I'm not like overly concerned about them showing up. Like, you know, if it was the day after, yeah, maybe. Um, and, but I think their mentality will be right. I think they'll be rested. Um, so I would lean also kind of heat plus nine in this situation. And I'm riding a little bit of a high after we bet, bet the heat in, in game seven, obviously. Um, okay. Give me your, uh, your, your season or sorry, your, your series long futures. Yep. So the first one ties into exactly what you just talked about. So yes, the Miami heat were, um, are, have been all playoffs incredible on open looks. Caleb Martin in particular, um, has been lights out, um, on open shots. He has an effective field goal percentage of 85%, which is the highest in the playoffs and is almost 30% above his regular season effective field goal percentage when he's open. Also, not even just when open, overall, Caleb Martin's 68.4% effective field goal percentage would be the highest in postseason history if he finishes the NBA playoffs at that rate, which, of course, yeah. he's not going to do. So, his series points per game over under on DraftKings is 15.4 points, which is already higher than his postseason average with all those numbers I just said. So he's scoring a point and a half less than that when he's been the most efficient player in the history of the NBA through the first couple series is, um, you know, he's on a heater that just cannot continue. I love him. I've been enjoying every single game of his, but you have all of that regression, um, you know, like likelihood coming, I mean, five points more than the regular season per game. And then lastly, Tyler Hero expected to return in there game three go. of this. Yeah, of this series. So there's the final nail in the coffin, too. Even if it's not, you know, doesn't dramatic. He's not going to like he was playing 35, 36 minutes a game, I think. Um, and mm -hmm. he's not going to play that level. So I think that is I mean, I, I already bet that one. Um, a second one that I like and it's somewhat correlated, I suppose. Um, is actually the BAM over. And, and, and I can tell that I'm not in my own head here because I was making fun of BAM on Twitter pretty much the entire Game 7. I think he's been a little bit sloppy, mm. has not played particularly well. But in these playoffs, in the first round against Miami, Brooke Lopez is number one in the NBA in defensive Raptor, defensive efficiency. Um, and then you have Al Horford and Robert Williams. If you take minutes restrictions off Robert Williams, he's also one of the highest, you know, one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And Al Horford, you know, obviously older player, but a good defender. I think good against Bam in particular as a big with size. You look at the Nuggets, there's one big man on their roster who is not negative in defensive Raptor. It's Nikola Jokic, who's going to be a little bit busy with the offense running through him um, and, and doing a ton. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get some bam. I'm sure it'll be you know just interesting matchup. I think Jokic gets dis discussed as like an awful defender. I actually don't think that's true. Um, you know, he gets a lot of steals and does a lot of nifty little things. But nevertheless, you go from incredible defense to outside of Jokic, really bad defending against bigs with the, the Denver Nuggets. And on the flip side. Bam's over under here of 16.6 points per game is actually lower. He's averaging 17.1 in the playoffs so far against better defenders. So even though I did mention how both teams pace of play is slower, the overs are going to be 220 range in all these games because, you know, the defenses are not quite as good. So I, I love both of those plays.
the the Caleb Martin one, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, am I going to be able to mention the Tyler Hero thing? You know, <laughs> because that's like a nail in the coffin. Um, and you're right. He's really had like three games in the last series where he's done dramatically better than kind of his previous, right? He started off the playoffs actually pretty slowly um, and has just been shooting lights out. Now, the one thing that I would kind of pay attention to, and I don't know that there's a bet to place on it right now, but here's, if I'm Eric Spolstra, and I, I think Eric Spolstra will do a good job of this, you have got to hunt Jamal Murray. You have got to try and get as many shots up against Jamal Murray as possible. So I expect Aaron Gordon to play Jimmy Butler. And I think what's going to be really interesting is who is Jamal Murray on? How are they attacking him? And just like you should have bet the Heat live when Jimmy, when Jason Tatum, you know, tweaked his, his ankle, when you see who Jamal Murray is guarding and how the Heat are going to attack him, I would immediately look to bet that player's over. <laughs> and, you know, it may be Butler, like they may be able to get Butler on Murray. Um, you know, it may be a, a different player, maybe Struess, um, I think is, is an interesting one. Uh, it may be Gabe Vincent. I think everyone's talking about um, Caleb Martin. Both of those guys have been equally impressive. I think it's just in in less of a kind of heroic fashion. Um, so those are two guys that that I would look for. The the other one that I am looking at, and it's juiced this way already, but Jokic, 27 and a half. If you look at his history against the Heat, um, they haven't been, it hasn't been particularly impressive. I just don't think that accurately sums up how good Jokic has been in the playoffs and how not great of a matchup I think Bam is on the ball against Jokic. I just, he's not a tremendous on the ball defender. And so I don't know if that, I, I could see that being a real disadvantage. I could see Bam actually being put in the meat grinder there. If Anthony Davis, who is a great on ball defender, had kind of that much of a struggle against him, um, I think it's going to be tough. And here's the thing after, after Bam, there's not a lot of depth there. So that's the other thing. I think they probably keep Bam off him in order to try and save some of those fouls. And I think that presents a real problem. Do they try and play zone? And does that make, um, does that make Jokic a distributor? Maybe in which case I would consider like points, rebounds, assists combo. One of those numbers points or assists. I think for Jokic is going to be ridiculous. Um, so that's that's one other uh, component. Do you have anything else, or is that were those yours? That's all I had. I just you you did the Tyler Hero version of yeah. There's no one behind Bam. It's Kevin Love and like Haywood Highsmith and maybe Udonis Haslam's oh corpse. God. Like I, I like that one as well. Yeah, it's it's very. I mean, if they play, if Kevin, if they put Kevin Love, who has started games for this team, on Nikola Jokic, I get, I like Kevin Love. But if he doesn't score 50 on Kevin Love, then we have a problem, <laughs> right? I mean, he lit Anthony yes. Davis up, okay? So, yeah. like, and Anthony Davis, his, his struggles were offensive. Anthony Davis defensively was a stud every game. Yes. So, <laughs> like, don't come at me with that. All right. Yep. Uh, last up, we have Jack's tournament, the Memorial. It's in Dublin, Ohio. Um, and uh, you have dug into the data golf um, uh Data. I was going to say data, golf data, but you have you have combed through uh, all of the insights, and uh, you are prepared to give us um, what we need. Absolutely right. So another brutal course, uh, you know, just like last week at the at the, uh, the PGA Championship or a couple of weeks ago. Um, the most important metrics here are driving accuracy because the the rough here is very very thick. It is hard to get on the green if you're not driving the ball accurately off the tee. Um, we're then looking at, and I love Data Golf recently added this. I think I mentioned that on the show. Um, the average approach distance here is over 185 yards. There are going to be some long irons into the green. And also, if you are hitting irons from the rough, your skill at, at approach shots from the rough, which is a, a section on Data Golf, is hugely, hugely important because, look, even the best drivers are going to miss the fairway from time to time. Um, and then lastly, because of the you know the difficulty of the you know the the rough and everything, you're you're around the green game is gonna matter. There are gonna be some tough chips, you're gonna have to kind of battle a little bit. It's super easy to putt. So it's about getting on the green and then you should do all right. So 
Um, with that in mind, we have four plays I really, really like here. Uh, obviously, the thesis stems from those things. Um, accurate drivers, good long approach game, good approach game from the rough in particular, and then good short game around the green players. So, Patrick Cantlay, I know we kind of have a, a podcast ban on Patrick Cantlay. Mm. Maybe just bet him top 10 and top five not to win because he he never wins for us, but he always finishes top 10 when we, when we bet him to win. So, Anyway, he's 10 to 1 to win. He does his game does match up very favorably here. I didn't look at prior history, but he actually does have a phenomenal prior history at Morial. Um Colin Morikawa, one of the most accurate drivers in, in golf and a phenomenal approach player, gotten a lot better with his short game as well. It's become a strength. Um I think it was kind of a relative weakness earlier in his career if I'm not mistaken. Um Corey Connors is one I love here. So the Canadian finished top 10 in the PGA Championship, actually played his college golf at Cates Western in Ohio. So familiar with the area, played a lot of college golf there, knows the conditions, but also his game lines up very well. Very accurate off the tee, not the longest off the tee, but very accurate. And one of the better iron players in the entire uh, PGA Tour right now. He is phenomenal um, in his approach game. Last one, bit of a long shot, uh, but I like this play a lot as well. Uh, is oh no, I didn't say that. Sorry, Morikawa's twenty-five to one. Corey Connors forty-five or fifty to one, depending where you bet. Brian Harmon, uh, I think he's a lefty. Uh, he, he's done pretty well in a lot of recent yes. majors. Yeah, short guy, lefty, uh, spunky. Um, but again, kind of all his, his game here lines up very favorably with with the uh, the course. He's one hundred and ten or one hundred and twenty to one, depending on where you bet. Obviously, a bit of a long shot. I took him on some top tens and top twenties as well. Um, but yeah, just you know, simple thesis. It, it all lines up with with what this course is asking you to do. I love the Morikawa one. I think it's only you know a matter of time where he comes back into form, and you want to be uh, early there. You can get some lot. I mean. You can pick up one of my favorite things to do in golf betting is find these guys who you can see are coming back into form a little bit, but no one has caught on um, and, and and pick them off. I mean, I, I, I did that with Tiger the year he won the Masters. I, I did that with Brooks uh, this year. We did that with Brooks. I did done that with Brooks in the past as well. I think it's one of the, the opportunities um, that's out there. So I'm in. I'm ready to rock. We've got we, we've um, become a football, WNBA, NBA, baseball, uh, and golf betting podcast. And it's glorious. Our Mercury, if you missed it, we did an entire episode on WNBA betting with Ben Brown. He's been absolutely cleaning up in the PFF printing press discord. I think he was up like three and a half units over the weekend. Um, and our Mercury, we have the, we're now Mercury, an official Mercury podcast. I'm getting my Diana Taurasi um, uh, jersey in the mail soon. Um, they play on Friday. I, I can't believe I have to wait until Friday, Brad, to see our Mercury play again. Just an absolute shame. So, um, yeah, join join the Printed Press Discord. Come hang out with us. We'll be back on Sunday with our main man, Judah Fortgang. And we'll be starting up the uh, division previews next Wednesday. Uh, so enjoy your week. Go Morikawa and uh, go Heat. Peace. Peace.